All right, going to change it up a little bit this week. Uh, Cube Show, we'll go through some of the film as well. But I got Jacob Hester with me, both in New Orleans covering Sugar Bowl. So I figured, why not preview some of these college football playoff games? Maybe just talk a little random SEC stuff, too. Uh, let's go right into these games first and foremost. Um, Washington, Texas. I feel like this could be a high-scoring game. This could be a fun game, entertaining game. I don't really see a path for this to be a blowout. But, no. like, how do you – where do you see this game going? Same way as you do. I mean, 35-31 feels like kind of where we're going to live. It almost feels like kind of the bare minimum. I'm just expecting yeah. an explosion of offense. And if we had this game last year, and you had it. I mean, you were on the sidelines, and it was 27-20, so it wasn't that. But I think both these teams have actually grown offensively. Even Michael Penix, as good as he was a year ago, I still think he's grown. I think this offensive line, which you could speak on, has grown yeah. maybe more than any position group for Washington. And then on the other side of it, Quinn Ewers has grown. I mean, maybe more than any other player in this game offensively as far as where he was a year ago to yep. where he is now. So I know Texas is down a running back, but look, I'm, I don't want to hate on my own position, but that's a running back by committee room and a lot of college footballs like that. Like not often do you have a, a guy like they had go down and it'd be the RB one. And so, yeah. and actually CJ Baxter was the starter to begin the year against mm -hmm. Alabama. He gets hurt. And so they've got guys. I'm not worried about that position. You lose a little bit with Brooks going down, but I think if it's going to be an explosion, it's going to be because of the quarterbacks, because of the receivers in this matchup, we've got, I mean, what, at least minimum five Sunday players that are going to be playing receivers. Oh yeah. For Washington two for Texas. I mean, like that's like guaranteed. Yeah. Throwing another tight end players. for Texas. So you could say yeah. six pass catchers. Really? Yeah. I mean, tight end for Washington's pretty good as well. So I think it's going to be based off what the quarterbacks do. We know the receivers are going to make a play. You and I have talked about it. How do the defenses line up in this context? Yeah. That's going to be something that I, I mean, from the get go, maybe be uh, paying attention to that because Last year in the Alamo Bowl, like Texas, like, look, you can dink and dunk. You're not going to go and take the top off this defense. And it worked as far as keeping the points down, maybe the yards down. But, you you know, you kind of let Washington possess the football. And you allowed Michael Penix, who kind of had a rough first half, as you've talked about, to kind of figure it out. And yep. once he did, then you couldn't really stop them. So how they line up, you know, do you change who you are? Because you're here for a reason. Yep. Do you want to change that up? Although Texas might defensively. Do you think – when I go back and I watch this Texas offense, the one complaint I have or gripe that I think I would have is it's a little too east and west. Yeah. It's, it's not a lot right at you. And I thought that offensive line bringing everybody back with a good tight end, good group of backs, that they would be able to go right at you a little bit more. But they're still super effective yeah. off play action. Is, is that part – a little bit of the sideline to sideline portion of the Texas offense, is that concerning in this game to you at all? Especially if it turns into a sort of a back and forth track meet, I guess. Yeah, I think Washington wants them to go sideline to sideline east-west. I don't think they want them to go north-south because of the size advantage right. that they have. And I think just the overall physicality of it. And Texas is an outside zone team, but not all outside zone teams are created equal. Like Missouri's an outside zone team, but Cody Schrader's going to put his foot in the ground at some point. Yep. And he's going to go north-south and be violent when he does it. I'm not sure that C.J. Baxter, any of the backs, I'm not, you know, Blue or anybody, Robinson, sure. I don't think any of those guys have that in them. That's not who they are. And that actually bodes well for Washington because, again, safeties a little undersized compared to linebackers, certainly. You got some good edge rushers, but, like, that plays into what they do well. Like, Trice going sideline to sideline, he lives in that all day long. And so – if I'm them, which, again, they don't do a ton of it, man, not even an inside zone. Hey, try something 
that's going north and south. Try maybe a power. Try something where it's like, hey, I'm going to hit the A gap. If it's not there, then we'll expand it. But I just, I, I don't know. I don't know if Texas is going to change up who they are. That's really, I mean, we've talked about it on defense already. Offensively, can they change it up? Because you do have extra time. But like you and I talked about, I mean, you have extra time, but it's not like professional football where you're there all day. You still have yeah. other responsibilities. So if they go east and west, if that's where they live, that plays into Washington's hand because if you go the other way, I don't think Washington could handle that as well. Okay. All right, let's roll to the Rose Bowl um, and just kind of how we think this thing is going to play out because you and I, we did SiriusXM this morning, and we talked about it a lot, and – I don't see the ways that Michigan can be creative enough yeah. to consistently move the football. Now, I think they can give Alabama headaches when they're on defense, so I don't think this is a little bit the opposite. Um, I think three yards in a cloud of dust is what everyone says, mm-hmm. but they also think that by saying that, there's going to be a lot of success offensively. Yeah. I think we sh- could see two groups kind of get bogged down for a while and trade punts. How do you, how do you kind of see the tempo of this game going? I think Michigan's going to be who they are, right? Maybe to a fault. Maybe it is to a fault, like you said, because that's kind of where they, they've lived all season long. We haven't really seen them. Last time we saw them really be explosive on offense was TCU yeah. last year when J.J. McCarthy was pushing he the had ball down be. the field. And he did. He had to be because they couldn't – well, not that they really couldn't get the run going. You made a great point this morning. They didn't really try yeah. to get the run game going. And so Michigan lives in that world. But they have to they have to get outside of their comfort zone if they want to win this football game. Like the last four games, like JJ's been on autopilot. Like he hasn't no, he hasn't had to. I sure. understand that. But you're gonna have to make a play. I, I think the receivers in this game are the main point of focus. Does Alabama have a game changing receiver? I, I don't really know. I don't know that. I don't know they have a guy that can go take a game over in a meaningful game, right? It's been a long time since they've done that. Same thing for Michigan. They've got good players. I'm not calling out the players, but are they guys that take games over, right? The, the receivers here in New Orleans, they can take a game over. Yeah. There's five of them that can take a game over. Uh, we've seen throughout the SEC. I mean, we can point to multiple teams that have guys like that. I don't think you have that in this matchup. So where do you go? Is it tight end? Is it running backs? Michigan probably has the running back advantage. I would say Blake Corum, obviously, has been in it a long yeah. time. Uh, Edwards time. hasn't been the back that he was earlier in his career. He's actually kind of struggled this year, but still, I mean, he's a very talented back. I don't think that's enough, though. It's going to have to be something. It's going to have to be somebody making a play. And we know, like, Alabama will try it. They'll try to push the ball down oh, yeah. the field. Like, Milrow's going to take his shots. I don't know that J.J. McCarthy will take his shots, but I think he has to. This, I think the Michigan D-line can sort of neutralize things. I, they're not going to dominate the Alabama offensive yeah. line. I don't think they get pushed around the way the Georgia front did. How does – Harbaugh and company defend Jalen Milrow. What, how would you want your defense to try to defend him? Do you have somebody that you feel like is athletic enough to be able to be quarterback spy? Like that's a question that you have to start with. Like you start with that. And if you have your guy, then you switch it up. I'm not saying you do it every single time, but you have to respect what he is. And he's a hell of a football player and he's a really good runner. We all know that. Yeah. And, you know, there's a couple of ways to think about it. And Look, you can have a spy, and you and I were talking about this. You can have a spy, and if he doesn't get home, then everybody else has got their back turned to the quarterback, and we know what Milrow can do in that situation. And so I fully expect them to to have that. I expect them to have a spy, switch it up a little bit. Sometimes it might be a defensive end who drops back, and maybe they bring another guy off off this edge to yeah. still rush forward. Like, 
they'll come up with a creative way. Because if you don't, I think he, I mean, he's more athletic than anybody on the football field, both teams. And so I think they will, but how much do they do it? And who is that guy? A lot of these matchups, we could kind of point to, oh, it's going to be him. It's going to be A. It's going to be B. I don't know who it's going to be for Michigan. Can you go to that Les Miles school of thought versus Cam Newton and find an invisible spy, which, which he said he wanted to try to have on the field? Uh, <laughs> against Cam down. Newton, I'm not sure that anybody, I'm, I'm not sure that yeah, Superman himself could have spied Cam Newton. All right, so when, when you think about Jalen Milrow, and it's a great point that you brought up with the wide receivers, and I went back and looked at the numbers this morning. There's only one receiver who has a 100-yard yeah. game. It's Burton who has three. I don't view him as a takeover guy. The A&M was a, game was a big game. He made some big catches against Auburn, had the big touchdown before the half. I think that wasn't really one where we would look at it like a Malik Neighbors game or yeah. a Romo Dunze game. Like He just happened to get over 100 off one big catch. So if it's if that's what it comes down to, who has the advantage? Is the advantage your scheme? Is the advantage your quarterback? Is it, what is the advantage if let's just say it's these two receiver groups? One of them's going to end up winning the game. Man, it's a great question because they, they really mirror each other. I mean, I think they have good receivers. I'm not sure they have elite receivers. So you start to like if you have that. Okay, well, what else do you have? And we know Michigan has the running backs, but. I would give Michigan the advantage if I thought that they would kind of integrate some different things, like a quarterback run like we talked about. And I don't know if that'd be a cute power or whatever it might be, but something different. We know Alabama actually does have different things, right? And do they have a game changer or running back? They've got a good group. Um, they've certainly – the Alabama conversation is tough because I think we grade them off other players that have played for Alabama. Oh, yeah, no. We, we do it with Georgia. We do it with Clemson's D-line. Right. We so, do a lot. When I'm saying this about these – LSU receivers. When I'm saying this about these players, they're really good players. They're going to play on Sundays. But we're so used to being like, well, on Derrick Henry can take over a game. Mark Ingram can take over mm-hmm. a game. The running back group is good, but it's, you know, it's more a couple of different guys that kind of are going to get carries. And so – when you ask me like receiver matchups and like who maybe can thrive and who can take over, I think I still would go with Alabama because they have more outside of that position that you have to worry about. Sure. Right. And so like, you know, like you start with Jalen Milrow and you still have some running backs that you have to worry about with Michigan. You have running backs you have to worry about, but again, are they going to take the governor off JJ McCarthy? Like that's, that's the question that we can't really answer here because there's been big games that they haven't done it. Ohio state, Penn State, I mean, they didn't take it up. When you run the ball 30 straight times against Penn State, right, your quarterback is not out there playing free will, no. right? So we know Alabama will. Um, look at the LSU game. Look at the, the Auburn game. Like all these games, Jalen Milrow, they put the ball in his hands. Georgia game, we talked about it this morning, right? The game's on the line. He doesn't give the ball away. It's, nope. it's him the entire last drive. And we know Alabama will do that. We just don't know that Michigan will do it. Can can Alabama play that sort of ground and pound against this Michigan front? Can they and again, even if it's not, yeah. you know, to the extent that it was against Georgia the way it just looked, yeah. which was dominant, can they can they survive playing that kind of game? Can they run Tommy Reese's favorite play duo? Can they run it, you know, 10, 12 times, have success? Can they run power counter a couple of times? Can they go right at this defense? And consistently have success. Yeah, I don't I don't know, man. This is a really stout defense. And it, it is hard. Like, if I wouldn't have seen it in person, what Alabama did to Georgia, I'd already answered no. But they did push around Georgia. I mean, that game on tape wasn't as close as the score says it was. No. I mean, they pushed them around. Now, Michigan is the best defense in the country on paper. Total defense number one now after Penn State gave up a bunch to Ole Miss. They're very stingy. And I think 
if you're Michigan, you want that to happen, right? You want them to try to yeah. do exactly what you're talking about. I, I'm still not there as far as being able to push Michigan around on tape. And I know they haven't played the who's who, man. They are stout. They're stout up front. And so I don't think you can just line up and get away doing that yeah. all game long. Now, I didn't think you could do it against Georgia either, but this Michigan defensive front seven, uh, I mean, you know, you watch as much tape inside the trenches as anybody. It, it's not just good because, oh, it's Big Ten good. No, it's it's good against yeah. anybody in the country. All right. So do you have a feel for who ends up playing in the championship game? Oof. I think – I mean, it's changed about 47 different times. Um, I, I do actually – I like Washington to get out of the Sugar Bowl. 35-31, uh, and I think they're the one with the 35. Now, it, you know, again, I think it's going to be a close game. Like you said, no blowouts there. And then the other game in the Rose Bowl, I, I, I really I – have, I have no great feel for the game. I know the analytics love Michigan, and I, I know that at times Alabama has looked like they've – you know, been a very beatable team, and and they've had to come up with miracles at the very end of games. We'll bring that one up here on this podcast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but uh, gosh, it's just every time we doubt Nick Saban. I mean, we were rolling out the stats this morning, right? Last time they lost a double-digit home game, 2003. Well, they ended up winning a national championship that year, 2015. Last time they're out of the AP top ten, they win a national championship. Last year, time they were the four seed, won a national, national championship. championship. So every time we do it. They go out there and they win. And so, like, for that reason, not having a great feel for which way I'm leaning, I think it's going to be an ugly game in in most parts of it. I don't think it's going to be the game that we'll uh, be at in the Superdome. I think Alabama finds a way. I think they find a way. I think it's Alabama and Washington in the national championship game. All right, let's uh, let's move away from that for just a second since I've got you here. I I did want to talk a little bit LSU with you. Offensively, heck of a year. Defensively, big time, you know, big letdown. Yeah. But now we go into the offseason, and there's a lot of pieces coming back that you feel great about. Uh, but then Mike Denbrock's going to go back to Notre Dame. I'm just interested in your thoughts of kind of philosophically, where does this offense go? Because, and I think you and I are in the same place on this. When I heard Mike Denbrock, I went back and watched Notre Dame, and I did not foresee anything like we saw this yeah. year. Right now, I know your personnel plays into that. You had, I mean, you and I talked coming out of spring, and I'm like, dude, these receivers are aliens, man. Yeah. Like they are like cyborgs. I and I, cause I agree with you, and I caught some shit because I was like, I might take this group ahead of Ohio State's group, yeah, which did. was like the standard of receivers yeah. everywhere. And people were like, oh, you're crazy. You seen these guys? I'm like, have you seen these guys? Yeah. Kyron Lacey's making these one handed catches, and Brian Thomas, we knew what Malik could do. Uh, so kind of just offensively, where do you? Where do you think they go? Yeah. And and what do you think it's going to, going to look like next year based on some of the personnel coming back? Well, I guess it depends on who they hire a coordinator. Um, you know, I don't think you'll get too far away from what they've done as far as schematics. I think you'll try to – even if you go outside, you'll try to find somebody that fits that mold. I, I'm really interested, will they hire from within? You've got two candidates right there, and I, I don't know if you do a co-offensive coordinator situation like they're yeah. doing in the bowl game. But Joe Sloan's been an offense coordinator before, Louisiana Tech, so it wouldn't be his first time. You've got Hankton there as a receivers coach. He's certainly, uh, you know, integral in coming up with some of the past concepts they've used this year. Is it going to be you, – you know how the SEC is, and is it going to be enough if you're in a place like LSU and it looks like you're going to keep Matt House, and so the fans are upset about that, and then you hire from within when you lose your offensive coordinator. Right. 
Is that going to be enough? Do they want a big splash? Do they want a big name, right? That's going to be some of the conversation. Me personally, I think Joe Sloan could do it. Um, I've seen him work at Louisiana Tech. I've seen him work at LSU. I think he's ready for that next step up. I mean, he's almost been a head coach at the FBS level, right? I mean, he's interviewed and almost gotten yeah. jobs uh, in different places in the Sunbelt Conference. And so he's a guy, honestly, that's ready for that next step. I think if you make that move, the offense looks a lot you know, similar that it did this year. Now, Garrett Nussmeyer is not going to hit Florida for an 80-yarder. That's not part of his game like Jaden Daniels did or maybe the most impressive 50-yard run that I've ever seen. But as far as the passing concepts and some of the other things, certainly in the run game, I think it will look a lot like it did this year. And then you have to figure out how do we replace you know guys on, on the edges that we're losing there at receiver. You're losing two first-round picks. Now, Kyron Lacing coming back, he'll try to be receiver number one. He's had a lot of time and a lot of big moments as well. You got good freshman class, uh, a couple five stars will be elevated. They'll be sophomores. It's going to be tough, though. It's going to be tough to replace what you're losing. I mean, you were losing uh, what I think is the best receiver in college football in yep. league neighbors. And you're I voted him first for the yeah for the Blitikoff. So. You're losing Brian Thomas, who's going to be a first round pick as well. And, you know, and he hadn't declared, but I would assume he's going yeah. to come out. The thing that that you'll love about LSU's offense next year is you do return the big boys up front. It should be a really good. It, group. it should be a solid. E- even if Lance Hurd reports are maybe he goes into the portal. Even if that ends up playing out, you still are going to have everybody coming back outside of Charles Turner, your center, who was a re- really good player. I mean, I full disclosure, I never thought he would be the player that he's ended up being. He got to LSU, they were like moving him to tight end because he was like 240 pounds. Right. And he's now a guy that's got invited to the senior bowl. But you have DJ Chester, uh, who is a you know highly rated four-star guy who would probably slot into that position. You could get creative if you wanted to. Maybe Deliger moves back to center. It didn't work out well the first time against yeah. Florida State a couple of years ago. But maybe you can slide him back. And so I think that group coming back, it's a group that was one of the best in the country this year. That it shores up a lot of things. And Garrett Nussmeyer might not have started a game yet. He will tomorrow in the bowl game, but he's had time under center. He's played against Georgia in an SEC championship game. And so it's not like you're completely starting over. But even if you did, I think that offensive front gives you peace of mind because just, I mean, they're, again, one of the best. And they return so many guys that have played so many snaps together. Yeah. All right. Finally, Jacob Hester, kind enough to give us some time here, previewing the playoff games and then just talk about LSU. Do you feel good? Should LSU fans feel good about the direction, all of it, like in its totality, where Brian Kelly is? Yes, you have to replace a coordinator. Fans might be mad about keeping another one. We thought the best defensive player in the league was going to be right there in Baton Rouge. Maybe he is, but didn't get that from him this year. That's not all his fault. Uh, You mentioned the guys going to the draft, recruiting, portal, all of it just where do you kind of view it all right now from a thousand foot view? Yeah, because your number three is always kind of what you're graded off of, right? Yeah. Right, wrong, or indifferent. And we were talking about Billy Napier earlier today, right? Year three is huge for him and, and the schedule that Florida has. But I think it's going in the right direction. I mean, look at what Brian Kelly took over. It was, you know, a 500 season, then a losing season. LSU's first losing season in like 20 plus years. And it was bare. I was, yeah. I was at the Texas Bowl when you had John Trey Kirkham playing quarterback. I love Chu Brees. He's my guy. I love him. But you had a receiver at LSU playing quarterback in a bowl right. game. Uh, that's as close to being embarrassed as I've ever been, like being around LSU. I'm like, man, this is the place I, I played for. I got a lot of pride in and got 38 scholarship guys out there and you having to play a receiver at quarterback. Right. And so it was as bad as I've ever been around. I know LSU in the 90s had some lean times, but as far as me, like that's a, the worst I've ever 
seen it. And John Cherry played his ass off. He did. He threw three touchdowns, yeah. by the way, which there's like four LSU quarterbacks that have ever done it in the bowl game, and he's one of them. Yeah. Um, so to see that point and to know how bad it really was to where you're at now, I don't know how any fan could be disappointed. All right. You get to an SEC championship game a year ago. You've got a real good opportunity to win 10 games again. You just had the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. It's huge. Right. Now, last time you had that, you didn't parlay that into success. Right. Now, you've got to, you've got to use those things to your full advantage. Yeah. Right. You, you have got to be able to, all right, we've got the Heisman winner. Actually, you got, you know, two quarterbacks in the last five years that have won a Heisman Trophy. That has to start paying dividends in high school recruiting. Yes. You got to start being able to get a top five quarterback without even like trying hard. And LSU hasn't quite been able to parlay that. They've got some good ones on their roster, but those are things you have to build off of. And I think they're going in the right direction. This offensive coordinator hire will be will be big depending on where they go. How do you fix the defense? Right? The defense was just, I mean, an all-time, an all-time bad one. Right? Yeah. I mean, they weren't 130th in, in the uh, FBS, but they, they, they were 98th, 99th, right? And at LSU, you might as well Not be where an LSU defense should be. No. No. And – you know, things that they just did not do well. Like, they were a bad zone coverage team, but they felt like they had to call zone because of some of the personnel that they had. The portal guys they brought in, Deuce Chestnut, Denver Harris, they played a handful of games. You never saw them again. Right. Right? That that Those type of things, like, that can't happen. You got to get some more bodies in. You got to be, you know, better, I think, on all levels. Coaching, players, schematics, all of it. I think if you don't get that fixed, then who knows where it goes. But if you shore it up, and you don't have to be – the number one overall defense. If they were 60th this year, they might be in this game that we're covering tomorrow night. So you got to make a couple changes there. You got to bring in some better talent. Uh, they're going to go with some young guys. Talking mm-hmm. to Brian Kelly, they're going to give you know Womack and some of those other highly touted four or five star guys yeah. an opportunity. Maybe not dive into the portal like they've done in the past. So that's that's going to be a storyline in Baton Rouge. Who they hire as offense coordinator, and what do you do to fix a really bad defense? Yep. Jacob Pester, man, he's one of the best um, locally in Baton Rouge. I say that. You guys are on here in New Orleans, too. Uh, you have a podcast out there with Doring that people can find. You're on SiriusXM like three times a day. So what's the best way for people to find you? Like give give your plug on on your stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, oh, we got 97 uh, jobs. And so off the, make bench, it work. off the bench in the morning uh, regionally. Throughout the Gulf South, uh, for the most part, Louisiana, Mississippi, some of Texas as well, up in the north uh, part of the state. And you can find that on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. Off campus every single day, College Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 84, 2 to 5 Central Time. And then pre-gaming the SEC with Christopher Paul Doring. Nobody pre-games like Chris Doring. Or post-games. Or during games. <laughs> all the, all of it. Yeah. Every bit of it. He's going to get it all in. There. He's going to get it in. Yes. Appreciate the time, man. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Anytime, brother. Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.